feel like a new year? No. I've already gotten called out on my um, progress on my lightning learnings. Boy, there's no bre- <laughs> there's no breather, is there? No. If you don't start, uh, what is it, it's January 2nd on your resolutions, then, then you've already lost, right? No. Yeah. I have to work up the, the energy to deal with the, the morass of, of yet another proprietary compromised technology from Salesforce, and I'm just, I'm just not there yet. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm get, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a customer that makes me do it. That's what's going to... Well, there's nothing like learning on the job, is there? No, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, the, pay, that's the best way to do it, is to get paid for it. Get paid for it. Oh. You know, I've, I've, when I was younger, I, I, people used to always tell me I was a, what is it, 10 going on 30 or something like that? I don't know. And you, know, you act old. You're, you're. You, I guess the thing is, you act older than you are. And I just realized it wasn't a compliment. People were saying I was annoying. I was annoying yeah. little bastard. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I almost said the same thing about my daughter this past <laughs> week, because she was just cynical about everything. Like her, her, she, she did news resolutions, and her resolutions were, "I'm gonna breathe. I'm gonna clap my hands." I mean, these were all very, very attainable goals. I mean, she was. You know, things she could achieve. Yeah, she's being just being a smartass. It's not cynical. <laughs> a little toot, and uh, yeah, a little yeah, toot. So I realized a little toot. I realized people weren't complimenting. They said I was ten going on thirty. Right. People used to say I was an, like an old man in a young man's body, and now I'm just an old man in an old man's body. So yeah, I'm just it's old. Slightly more depressing. You know, I, again, man, I'm just old. I I was. Did you watch the uh, the ball drop? The whole uh, New Year's yes. Eve show. But I was out at the time, and it was on the TV, so. I could not stand anybody I saw. I couldn't stand any of the groups. I couldn't stand any of the people. I couldn't stand the people in the background. I was just like, you idiots. Yeah. <laughs> I really wasn't paying attention. Uh, uh, I couldn't relate to the songs. I couldn't relate to the music. And, you know, you get the people that, that were dancing, and all I could see is just cynicism everywhere. It's like, I was like, oh, look, they they took they put all the hot girls in the front row there. That's all you saw was a bunch of hot girls in the front That's row. That's like clubs or anything else, yeah. right? Yeah. No, speaking of um, of not being able to relate to the music, when when the ball drops, why do they play New York, New York? I can't relate to that. <laughs> I mean, don't get wrong. I mean, I, I you know, I, traditions. I know New York is a is a interesting and unique place, and I I like Frank Sinatra and all that. But I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. Who do they think they're relating to? You know, five percent of the country. I mean, I just I don't understand. Yeah. Anyway, well, I thought we'd. Uh break the ice this year with uh, talking about some some news, some political news. Oh, God. I thought we'd try to avoid that. Yeah, well, we normally do, but it's kind of hard to resist this. Um, can't we can't, we can't not do a show and not talk about the, the biggest change in legislation that affects so many people starting day one of January. <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this. I think you're going to... Um, Oregonians now have to pump their own gas. Oh. <laughs> it's called a bait and switch, people. Uh, yeah, apparently, uh, I, I knew of some places where that was still a law, and I assume it's a law to protect, uh, yeah, I'm assuming it's a law to protect people from, uh, losing their jobs that used to pump gas, but it's such an old, archaic thing. Yeah, I think there's still other states that have that. Let's say illegal to pump your own gas because you might screw something up. I guess. I, I, I just liked it because of the hilarity that ensued afterwards with people, uh, complaining about having to pump their own gas and then everyone else saying, yeah, welcome to the club, basically. Um, but the responses were much more hilarious than that. So, uh, Anyways, back to the real news. Uh, California, starting January 1st, uh, oh, can yeah. start uh, recreational yeah. retail use of pot. You can get your toke on. Uh, 
I wonder what Dreamforce is going to be like. <laughs> I mean, will it realistically what change anything? It will, I mean, it's, it will because it's still probably illegal to do in any public place. I just like it is in uh, Colorado. Yeah. I'm guessing. I haven't read the law. People already did it there. It's not like you know they, California probably you get migraines and you can get a prescription for it. I mean, what was the punishment for even being caught with marijuana? It probably wasn't severe. You they are you already had medical marijuana. I, I actually heard though that they they dramatically increased the taxes on medical marijuana as a part of this bill to legalize it. No, if you have your card saying that you you have it, you're getting it for medical use. Then right. the tax structure is different. Okay. Anyway. Well, glad, John, I'm glad you're uh, keeping up with all the drug laws. I know. Not that I ever use it or I ever have used it, so it's a new foreign thing. I just, I just think it's I just think it's going to be interesting to see if that changes the environment of some of these conferences that, that are in California. Because, again, so. yeah, you have people who live in California, and they, they've got the system figured out. But now you have tourists coming in, and these tourists are, are basically going to have free access to it. Now, it's not, it's not like that day one because you have to apply for a license, and a lot of these places didn't have To buy have it? Oh no! no the, the, the shop shops. has to have right, a license okay. to be able yeah. to sell it. Yeah. So a lot there was only a handful of shops that did have a license. Oh, I guarantee I, you by by the time Dreamforce rolls oh, around, yeah. though, it's gonna yeah. it'll, it'll be in full. So so right now, no, it's it's probably still pretty tame out there right now. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Colorado. I mean, they they have a lot of pot tourism, and it you know it's it's kind of problematic because it's people it's people who aren't you know used to doing it on a daily basis, and so they kind of get out of control and or they try to buy too much, and because there's there's limits on what you can buy. Still, yeah, but uh, yeah, I just think it's interesting. I wonder if um, it'll become part of the sales toolkit: steak, hookers, and, and pot. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think they go right for the coke, though. Honestly, for the oh. bath. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy it, you Californians. And if, and if Is that and, what they're called, Californians? Yeah. And if and if you're on it, if you have a really good expense account, then you just go right for the heroin. I mean, come on, let's not mess around with this other, you know, cheap crap. Was this the Wolf of Wall Street rules? I guess. I don't know. No, back then it was Coke. It wasn't, yeah. yeah. But now it's now it's definitely heroin. Well, not that I would know. Well, John, uh, what you got any other news? Of course. I've got tons of news. No, not really. Um, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Scott again. Um, I, I mentioned last episode about the issue I was having with the test setup method, getting counted in the unit test coverage results. And, and it was confirmed um uh, who was it, Doug? Was it Doug Ayers, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. Anyways, he, he responded because he had noticed the same thing doing some other stuff. Um, so re- can you re- uh, recap the problem again? Because I'm not following. Yeah, so the problem that I, that I talked about last week was that um, whenever you run a, a unit test and you have a test setup method, and so that's that specialized method that will run before anything else get, gets, um, I guess, initiated for the test. Yeah. So all your data setup and stuff like that in the database will get set up first, and then every subsequent run of the database, I'm not sure exactly. And what it's the supposed me- to reset limits, but it doesn't, as we discovered. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know if what the mechanism is, if, it, if it's like some kind of virtual thing or if it's a copy or, or however that system works, but it's supposed to kind of improve the performance of your test so that, you know, every time one of your test methods executes, it's not having to reset that all that data up. So in my tests... In my tests of tests, mm-hmm. that is, I, I, there's actually a, a significant performance difference depending on your data setup for using test setup. So I've, I actually use test setup quite a bit now simply for that reason because it actually is makes my code a little bit crappier because I have to, in, in the actual test methods, I have to requery everything because if you save yeah. a static reference, anything you created, it gets wiped out when, they, when your actual test runs, mm-hmm. which seems to almost defeat the purpose of this. And maybe the Apex team can work on that, but. It, yeah, that, you that is my one problem with it is, is that I do have to kind of requery everything back out. So 
Uh, yeah. Whereas previously, my test setup method would either you know store the ID in some static variable in the in the test class mm-hmm. or something like that. And that doesn't work anymore. And that doesn't work. So what I end up doing is I have like constants of some kind of what I call a keyword, and it usually ends up in the name field of an object. So like I would have an account name, and it'd be some very specific. Oh. I wonder if you could you save the ID of the of the records in no because field because the I think you tested this before, um, but it. Every every instantiation of your method is a new static instance, so it's not even part of that transaction or part of that. Oh, it has to be a constant. Yeah, okay. it has to be a constant. Like a compile time constant. Yeah. Okay. Mm. That's odd. Very odd. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, what I noticed was that my code coverage results were off. It was saying, you know, it was counting essentially my unit test class, which is just an isolated class that has mm-hmm. nothing but test methods, normally shows up as zero in terms of, you know, lines covered because there's nothing to cover. Well, what I was noticing is that um, on certain situations, not all situations, but certain situations, the code inside my, my test setup method um, was getting counted. Uh, and it was throwing some of my numbers off. It doesn't have any real issue on You're deploying saying, so or the, any the issues. Lines, on- uh, the, the lines of code in your test class are being included in, in the denominator of like your test coverage percentage. Right. And, uh, and this really pertains just to the tooling or any kind of results that you get back from Salesforce that says, here's your coverage results. And right. that class would start showing up in the list. Do you know if, when you deployed to production, did it did it have that same problem? or No, it didn't affect okay. you know, deployments or anything like that. It's just the results that came back were, they, they were just, just wrong. I like how we, had just, we have this ongoing problem. And I think it's manifested itself in different ways. I think this has been partially fixed and we've had regressions against this, whatever. But the... the you know, the getting having any kind of consistent code coverage metric out of Salesforce has been un, almost unattainable. Like you can yeah. deploy to production, they'll tell you one thing, but if you run the tests beforehand, you know, run all tests, you'll you'll get a different number. It's just it's like you cannot. There's really no way. Like the best, only way to know, really, I guess you could do a, te- a like a check only deployment or whatever that's got a test deployment where you deploy to the your your final or the org you want to deploy to, but you do like that that test only, mm-hmm. so it. it Runs the the build, runs all your tests, and you you get you can you can get your code coverage metric. I think that's a that's really the only one that that's the only way to actually get the correct metric. Yeah, because everything else seems to be not accurate. What I run through the ID is not accurate. What I run in a in a sandbox, which supposedly has the exact same metadata based on everything I can every supposedly. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it it gets different numbers. It's, there's just really no no way to know. Again, mm-hmm. there is no known good build. It's not possible. Right. Well, I mean, essentially, the end result is that it is a Salesforce issue with the way they return results. So, um, basically, resolved my issue on that one just just because there's nothing for him to do. I mean, he he had asked if it was something maybe he could offset or mask, and and we just came to the conclusion that yeah, that's not worth your time. So, uh, so appreciate it, Scott. Um, I did notice that that eliminated cloud does not work with old archaic classes that include test methods in the same class. Hmm. Um, I tried to run one of the test Isn't methods. Is that still valid syntax, though? I wouldn't worry about it. Like, if I, like I'm not even going to log a bug report on it because I just wouldn't worry about it. No, but from Scott's perspective, it's, if it's valid syntax, he'd, he would want to support it. So he probably would want to know if it's not working. Well, it's not. I, it's a deprecated syntax. Is it? Okay, yeah. that's what I didn't know. Yeah. So, so on the newer, it's versions. no longer a. It's no longer supported in any of the newer versions of the API. I just happened to come across an old class um, that had it, and I, I had to change something in it. Um, and I wanted to regression test it, and I couldn't use that tool. I had to go use. I had to run the test somewhere else. But um, other than that, I, it's not something I really care to. It is deprecated kind of syntax. So, yeah, I still haven't upgraded to two point I, I mean, it's definitely on my list. I just haven't. I wish I would have done it also, so I could have gotten the write off in the previous tax year. But I just didn't have time. I did have to. I had to upgrade my um, 
IntelliJ license expired, I guess, midnight on January 1. Oh, wow. And I had you, should, you should offset that. Somehow. I know. I don't know how that is. Because mine is in August. Well, the reason that happens is because, see, I, I, I looked at my license history on IntelliJ. I've been buying it for, you know, I think 10 years now. And I used to be on, well, you bought the license and it worked forever. Like I'd buy the license for like IntelliJ, you know, version 11, right? Mm-hmm. And it worked. I got updates on that forever. Now I didn't get 12. When 12 came out, I had to buy an, had to buy an upgrade license, right? right? And then they somehow, at some point, you know, they switched everyone over to subscriptions. And I think people, everyone who got kind of grandfathered into subscriptions like that, they, st- I guess they started it on January 1st. I mean, I did not buy my license on January 1st. That's just when they switched me over to license was starting on that date. And then I think I got a year. Oh. I got, you know, they gave me a year from that date. And so now it's always going to, and I had, you know, the thing is it would have auto renewed, but my credit card I had on file with them was an old credit card number that doesn't, uh, it's not active anymore. And so I got in there and just put a new one in, but yeah, it, it and it, it's funny. It doesn't, so if, for anyone who's curious, um, apparently, at least this is the way set up I have. And, you, and you, remember, I got grandfathered in the, into this licensing, the subscription model. Mm-hmm. So I think it would work. For, it, maybe that, maybe that's this is how it works for everyone. But uh, if you when your license runs out, at least in my case, I have perpetual fallback for like whatever version I happen to be on at the time. So it won't. I won't get any more upgrades or not any more major upgrades. I think I'll get probably the patch the, the bug, mm-hmm. bug fixes or patches or whatever. But um, but I can keep using that version. I just can't get a new major version. Whereas yeah. if your license is active, you just you're always getting the latest, even if it's a new version or whatever. Yeah, I think I'm set up to always get the, the latest version. I, don't, I I think I can turn that off though. The auto updating. Well, you probably have an active license, right? An active subscription. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But I'm saying when that subscription expires, if you don't renew it, you you know I don't think you're not going to get any major updates anymore. But oh, you yeah. can keep using the version you've got installed, I think. Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. yeah. Because some, you know, some software when the license uh, subscription expires, the whole thing shuts down. Yeah. And you can't use it at all. But yeah. But to be it. clear, not to confuse the situation, um you don't have to you don't have to have the full eliminated cloud, what is it? Um idea. Well, IntelliJ. IntelliJ, yeah. You don't have to have No, that but that's some of the things like I don't even does I'm trying to think do you even get JavaScript? I don't think you even get, I don't think you get JavaScript without, and I, because I looked, I almost bought, they almost upgraded to, they have um, like an all products license. Mm -hmm. It's only like, I'm I'm at the point now where, because I'm, I think I'm on like a, considered like a three plus year subscriber. So I'm on the $89 a year for like the personal license at IntelliJ. And for, I think for like 130 or something like that, I could have gotten, I could have subscribed to every product they have, including they've got, you know, like ReSharper. Yeah. They have, um, what's their 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 iOS one app code? I think it, it you, you know you can do basically um, all iOS and like Mac develop or not. I won't say all, but you can do iOS and Mac development with app code. Uh, which I actually read some good things about. I've never never used it. But then I thought, well, I, I really don't have any immediate plans to use either either of those, so I'm just going to stick with IntelliJ. But I did kind of look at that, you know, the IntelliJ community versus inter or what what's it called enterprise, whatever they call the uh, ultimate, ultimate versus yeah. community. Yeah. Compared them in, yeah, there's just a lot that the Community doesn't come with like the data tools, which I use the crap out of nowadays. I love them. Um, you, don't, you don't get that. I don't. I don't think you get JavaScript. Most of the framework support, like whether it's a JavaScript framework or otherwise, you don't get support for sets. So yeah, I'm looking at the know. list. You I mean, you, get, do, you don't get JavaScript, TypeScript, uh, Java EE, Spring, JWT. Yeah, did yeah. I say that right? JWT, Grails, and other frameworks, database tools, SQL. I mean, you can still do stuff. What, you can still develop using any of those languages or tools. It's just that you're not going to get like the IDE automation of those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're 
kind of using a text editor. But, I mean, you do get, I mean, considering Ultimate's or uh, community is free, I mean, you do get a lot for free, oh, yeah. especially if you're doing Salesforce work. I mean, uh, you could, because you can get communities for free and then all you have to buy is the, uh, the illuminated cloud license. And that's, yeah, I don't know. And that's it. Yeah. But if you're, if you're also a web developer and, or you're doing other things, I mean, you know, if you can get the personal license again for, I think, a hundred bucks a year. And I, I think it's a, given all the stuff IntelliJ will do, all the different language and framework support it has. And just how it's such a mature and, and rich IDE to me, it's uh, to me, it's, it's worth it. Oh yeah, like, yeah, not a question. Yeah, I went ahead and got the full blown thing. Um, I think mainly because I did want to do some. I did want the JavaScript features. I I know I wanted that much of it. So yeah, I went ahead and got that. Yep. Well, we have another person that has jumped from um, Financial Force to Salesforce. We do, Andy Fawcett. Is that who it was? Yeah. Yeah. And he was uh, Financial Forces, like CTO is, or something? Is Financial Force in California? Like, did he have to move I don't for think that? they are. I think, aren't they in Washington or something? Um, oh. I'm, I'm not sure. But I know they're... Um, I was going to make the joke that, uh, hmm, funny, he moved right when they legalized... Oh, no. <laughs> no, they're in, San, they're in San Francisco. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. I'm excited to hear that all these... Yeah, not all these, but but you know the the two big announcements that we were excited about with um what is it Chris? Okay, Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson. I guess he's head of Apex Development. Or yeah, he's, I think he's basically the Apex, Apex PM. I think. Yeah. And and Fawcett becoming VP of what was that? What was uh, I think it was like platform, Lightning platform. Okay. That's the VP of Product Management in the platform in the platform group. Does that mean the group of platforms, like the different platforms Salesforce has? Yeah, I think I don't think I understood that. I don't either. I never understand these these positions at Salesforce. It's like who's actually in charge of making <laughs> good? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, I, th- I think for me, what's exciting that, that that we have people like this joining Salesforce and getting involved in the development uh, like this is is I guess my hope is that because they've they've been in the trenches actively developing and, and coming across these things and working closely with Salesforce to try to resolve them or make lives, make their lives better. You know, from a development perspective that maybe, um, maybe there's hope. I, I guess there's always hope, but I mean, I guess that, that just kind of further emboldens me to believe that, you know, chain, you know, there's going to be further improvements to the language, further improvements to the platform in ways that, that directly benefit developers. And by developers, I mean, I guess capital D developers. I'm, yeah. I don't know right. what to say about that. Right. Uh, and I feel like Matt Morris kind of took the words out of my mouth here. He, so he had a few comments in the Slack. He's, um, he said, you know, being inside the tent now, and he'll um, he will have to work during Dreamforce. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's not, uh, let's see. And he's also asking, you know, does this mean there'll be more patterns in the future of the platform? <laughs> will, we, will we see a return to the halcyon days of information engineering? I feel like that's a, a British saying. <laughs> Maybe it's not. I don't, I don't think they're, they're, I don't think like a pattern will become a first class Thing, but I think the mechanisms that support patterns, you know, may may find some some foothold, maybe. Yeah, like uh, oh, I don't know, namespaces. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one. He says that. Yeah, and Matt continues on. He said, just as with our beloved Chris Peterson, having someone who stretched the platform to breaking point ha- has to be a good thing. And now let's hope Andy's got some budget or a lot of budget. Yeah, that that's the thing. I mean, uh, you know, Andy's probably. One of these guys who um, has seen most of the corners and edge cases of Salesforce, the the dark, dirty, cobweb-infested corners. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are, and uh, you know, it's if if anyone, 
as the guy who understands what needs to be changed, what needs to be improved for guys like us who are out in the trenches trying to use this platform to build things for our mutual customers. Right. Now, Matt not only sent us that information on Slack, he also directly emailed us. Um, he didn't say I could use his name, but I'm going to use it anyways because he said like, I, he said I'm breaking could. our cardinal rules. He, he said John. I could before. <laughs> Plus, it, it's 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 almost word for word what he's what he put in Slack. But um, he, he said in his words, he said with today's announcement with Andy Fawcett has joined Salesforce. I have two questions that I would like to hear your opinions on. Uh, number one, what should be his number one priority? I'll let you answer that one before I go. Well, again, considering I don't understand these titles at Salesforce, and he's, again, VP of Product Management in the platform group. So he's somehow in a group of platforms, and he manages product in those platforms. It's like, what the hell does this even mean? It's <laughs> a great title to have because like, no one, it's like when, you know, when, you're, when your annual review comes up, <clears throat> Does Salesforce do those antiquated things? I'm sure they have to. Oh, but, well, no, they don't have to. A lot of companies have just completely opted out of that now. Uh, it just makes no sense. It's a bad way to manage. But anyway, it's like, uh, well, let's see. We tried to we tried to figure out how good of a job you did, but we can't figure out what the hell you're supposed to do because your title is so ambiguous. So uh, we, we're just going to let you keep your job. Is that okay? Okay, here. Good. <laughs> you give it a little raise. Well, maybe, maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's his number one priority is to uh, circulate what his job duties are <laughs> <laughs> so we can know what to expect. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, if if you assume that he's just in charge of overall like the the goodness mm-hmm. metric of the platform, you know, what would you have him focus on? Well, I got to think with the title of VP, it's going to be more prior helping to prioritize things less than you know actually doing things. I, I don't mean that to sound like he's not doing things. Just that I think at a, at a VP level, you're more focused on strategy and prioritization of, of you know the workload and the 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 roadmap, I guess. I am not talking right today. I'm stopping a lot. I don't know why. Yeah, probably because I threw you off with having with this late with this late recording here. Yeah, maybe. I'm already. Kind Were of you sitting here drinking tired. whiskey while I was gone? No, I no? actually okay. didn't. I I decided not to. So <laughs> I'm glad I did. Or I'd be ten times worse right now. Um, so, anyways, I I think the only point I'm trying to get across is I, I think with a VP title, I, I I see that as being more of a kind of defining strategy, kind of figuring out what the priorities are. Um, and, and like I said, I, I think there's a lot of things that we complain about that are on their list somewhere, but it's probably low on the list. And maybe he can help kind of help reprioritize some of that stuff. Whereas maybe maybe someone who was, who was there before didn't see much value in that, that maybe he has a different perspective on. Yeah, I mean, there's these obvious things like this bug I've been, this, been the compiler I've been planning, complaining about for a couple of months now that just basically breaks all, all any kind of continuous integration or automation. Yeah. So yeah, obviously stuff like that. Um, but... I think, you know, if, if you look at what, what people are trying to build on the Salesforce platform now, mm-hmm. uh, they're bigger apps, they're apps with, you know, more integrations, and, and people are trying to build Salesforce apps the way, the way you would build any other kind of app with, you know, modern practices and processes and tools and things. Yeah. So anything that helps promote those, I think, is where I would focus if I were him. Because that's where your growth is, that's where you get access to bigger customers, more customers, more interesting things, more apps on in your ecosystem, which is one of those things. It's kind of hard to measure, but it, we all, you know, I know it's hugely important, that whole app ecosystem. So I that's what I would focus on if, if I were him. And I think central to that mm-hmm. is, the, is the build and deployment system. And we've talked about it a million times. I don't have to go into that, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I that's, mean- that's really the, the worst part of the Salesforce 
app development story right now. Probably one of the worst. Uh, it just feels like a, like a huge wall. I mean, you, you finally go through the trials of of getting getting the app built, and then you, then you're hit with this wall of just trying to get it to deploy. Or I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and do again do do CI on on any big development project with multiple developers, developer sandboxes, mm-hmm. you know, nightly or you know, on you know, continuous builds and nightly builds and regular, and you you will see you will you will encounter. Just a giant wall of bugs in the metadata API, and there and there's there's there are I mean I say bugs I mean there are outright bugs. There are also just things that they're probably not technically bugs because it's the way it was designed. It was just mm-hmm. it needs the way it works needs to change. Yeah, and I think the the real pain point isn't necessarily that first release. It's the subsequent releases where it starts to get hard. I mean, I've, when you have a clean app that's never been installed, you know the package is pretty straightforward. It's everything. Um, but then as you try to modify it and and you know maybe change the data model a bit or you know you have some cross dependencies that have to kind of get removed and replaced because you did some either some significant refactoring or there's just a new component to your application that that's where you really start to start feel the pain of of how do I get this released correctly yeah i mean and things like you know you can't you can't do rollbacks you can't do like blue green deployments you can't you can't um you know you can't do you can't basically can't do a a database uh, structure. What's the word? Like a database structure migration, mm-hmm. along with the actual data migration in the same as a part of the same kind of transaction, so that either it either all happens or it, none of it happens. Right. And there's so many things that are just that are just basic, like table stakes of any platform nowadays that Salesforce doesn't have. And there's just, there's just no story there. I mean, the, you know what the story is? Shh, don't talk about that. We don't we don't <laughs> talk about those things. You go to Dreamforce, all these places. You're not going to hear anyone talking about that. Yeah. But I'm thinking the people, the people that are you, you, and everyone knows who they are because you know when you hit this, like these are huge problems. Yeah. All right. Question two, um, which I don't know how we're, I don't even know who to put in this, but uh, who else would you like to see join Salesforce in a role where they could bring about change? I don't um, know. I, I, I mean, Andy Fawcett's probably the one that I would would be at the top of my list to think of. So that kind of takes that out of the water. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I there's certainly a lot of there's a lot of I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of good developers, engineers out there that are building things on Salesforce. And there's, you know, you've got a bunch of MVPs and you know your your chief. What are they called? Chief architect? No, technical. Cert, no, CTA. What does that say? Certified technical architect. Is that what it is? Yeah. You got people like that. I mean, you know, those are people that have gotten good at it. Or I don't say uh, a lot of those people are people who have gotten good at just managing their their career and which is great for them. I'm not, you know, it's a good thing. But yeah. in the Salesforce ecosystem, that doesn't mean they're the, you know, they're the smartest or they're doing things that I necessarily have a lot of interest or respect for. But I mean, is it something you would wish on someone who's maybe not in the Salesforce community, like a, a Jeff Atwood or Martin Fowler or I don't know who, who who's, who's Joel on software? Is that Joel um, uh, Spolsky? Spolsky, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, those those people would. Would, I mean, they're all they, they would, all, they would rich run retired. Would run, now, but I'm just saying <laughs> they would run screaming away from from this platform. There's, there's no. But I mean, there. I mean, if you if you had to play a what if scenario, what what kind of things do you think they would they would bring to the platform? I, I think their experiences from from other from other from other platforms from other systems, and and that's that would be a good thing. Um, yeah, if you could get some, you know, or like a, 
uh, oh, I don't know, like a James Gosling or a um, what's the .NET guy? Um, Anders Heilsberg. Yeah, get Anders. That that'd be my number one pick. Get <laughs> Anders Heilsberg in this place. You know what? He <laughs> not, not only would he would he just absolutely up in this thing and fix it, mm-hmm. uh, but it would be you know he that would be a huge coup for Salesforce because that'd be the you know like the, that'd be the biggest hire away from Microsoft they've ever done. Yeah, he, he would he would get the job done. There's there's not a lot of people that I think in this world that could do it, but he's one of the he'd be on my short list for sure. Yes, that's a good pick. I mean, that's, you know, the Jeff Atwoods, I mean, you know, he's probably he's I mean, he's an experienced, you know, developer. Um Martin Fowler, you mentioned, you know, he's a professional talker. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't know if he's uh the type of guy to to get in I don't know. And, Salesforce likes professional talkers. They do, they do. <laughs> and and you need professional talkers, you do. I mean, he I mean Martin Fowler probably is is you know responsible for a large percentage of percentage of uh, what do they call ThoughtWorks is revenue mm-hmm. because he's such a great talker and he, he's an author and he's you know I don't get me wrong I mean I've got, I've got probably eighty percent of his books and they're he's a smart guy and everything else but I just don't think that's that's what he does though that's what that's the right. kind of thing he does and I'm sure he works on projects to keep his keep his uh, chops honed and everything but I don't think that's his gig but Anders Halsberg. Yeah, I would take him. Um, I don't know. There, there's other people that no one knows who I'm not going to, so I won't really mention them. But oh, you have to be you have to be part of the Illuminati to, no, to hear their just, name, huh? They're just you know people <laughs> people that I've met and friends that I've made throughout the years that I would that I think could, but the, but they're they're no namers, just like essentially just like you and I are. You know, yeah. we're not. You're not going to read about me in the, uh, the Seatback uh, magazine on your next flight. <laughs> well, if you do, it's because I did something really bad. <laughs> uh well well matt matt signs off with uh sending us man hugs so man hugs from matt Morse. <laughs> is that is that the half hug i don't know i, I don't know maybe that's kind of shaking the, hands with one hand and the you British kind of, version yeah, of bear hugs i don't know yeah, no more than two pats on the back there it starts starts getting a little just getting weird <laughs> <laughs> no no mashing no mashing <laughs> uh yeah, so that's that. Uh, let's see. Um, there was a interesting little article in your in one of your uh, artist anal publications, the information. Oh yeah, did you see it? That, there's definitely an artist anal uh, publication. <laughs> it, it is. This was a free article though, because I was able to access it and let me write in. Yeah, that I was logged in as you, but I don't think I've logged into that site in forever. You still read that? You still yeah, subscribe? Yeah, still subscribe. Is it good? It's still good. Yeah. I mean, is it? It. What is it? Is it more consumer tech, enterprise tech? you know developer focused it, it's almost like i guess what cio magazine used to be it's it's very high level um is it for people who kind of like or maybe are do like investing in tech and just yeah, okay yeah 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 those are okay i i i don't know i read some of those things but i i tend to like uh, the more nitty gritty I do too, but they, they, they've had enough articles that were kind of really specific to kind of the things i was interested in that i that i went ahead and kind of just subscribed i'm i'm Debating whether or not to continue that subscription this year, but because um, it is really expensive, um, it's more than my Netflix subscription, and that's that's that's. Oh, how much is it? I think it's like thirty bucks oh, a month. I am logged in as you. <laughs> Welcome, John. <laughs> oh, that's funny. No wonder I was able to read it. Darn it! Get off my account, man. Well, hey, this is <laughs> expensive. This is good. We can we can put some bring... money in the tip jar over here in the <laughs> swear can, jar. Yeah, exactly. No, we can we can bring uh, proprietary content to the show. Is is that? Are we, can we get sued for this? <laughs> No, actually, I think I have links. Like whenever they send me a link, I, I have a share link that I can share, and okay. it's 
it send it can like it lets like the first like ten people read it, and then after that, it starts well, blocking or something. I'm going to declare that this discussion is happening under fair use. <laughs> anyway, so the they yeah they had an article about um, you know Amazon and Salesforce moving away from Oracle. So this is this is not news. I don't know what happened because they you know everything was like sources said or people that know and things like things like that. I'm like okay mm. whatever. And they even refer back to the the Oracle. Earnings call that where where Larry talked about how you know Amazon continues to buy a bunch of Oracle and how like Salesforce is basically uh, Oracle's biggest customer, <laughs> which, I, which I think is funny. Oh, but anyway, so um, it's funny. I, I, I read through the article and I'm, it reminds me, you know, the, the loudest complainers about Oracle are also Oracle's largest customers. Yeah, I mean, and and that's always fascinating me because. You know when you're when when an when a vendor kind of has you by the balls and and you do have to write them those big checks all the time mm-hmm. because you don't have any options doesn't doesn't it behoove you to not kind of piss them off in public? No, it should embolden you because you're like a large chunk of their revenue. So you, you have them by the balls. Yeah, I don't. You I don't lose think, a big customer like like Salesforce or Amazon or or whoever, and, and you know you're suddenly lo- you know lose two or three percent on your profitability statement, and your stock goes down. Yeah, and, and I'm definitely dubious on Oracle's future. I'm not sure if their strategy is going to work, but I don't think anyone's got Oracle by the balls yet. I think Oracle still firmly I think, the, I think the one enough, grabbing balls. I think there's enough increased competition on. I, I don't know. I, I just see like these these cloud services and these these basically. You know, people who aren't hosting their own technology anymore, um, not really caring what it's on anymore. They just want to know it works, and they want to. They want an API they connect you to to connect to a data store, and they want an API to connect to some memory database. And you know, they just they just want APIs. They don't want to really want to manage all the all the things that that low level. It d- depends on how much control you need, <clears throat> right? Some some for some situations you you want you know just give me an api to some uh, what, like a block storage or an object storage right yeah. s3 or something like that yeah but go back and then in sometimes time, go some, back in time like 5 maybe 8 10 years and you there was no options you you rolled your own you got your own sql server database and your own oracle database and you built your data layer and right you know, right and and whether you wanted it or not you had a lot of control over yeah tuning uh, you also had a lot of, oh, a lot of I mean, risk for screwing it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember I, got, I, had, I had to install Oracle. This and this was not well. I don't want to say it wasn't too long ago. It was probably ten years ago now. But it was the biggest pain in the ass I've ever dealt with in terms of just in getting a piece of software installed and working. But I've it's never, also I've never installed it. But I've worked with it directly, uh, just through ODBC connect connections and things like that. Yeah, it just was a pain in the oh, ass. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. No, I, I, I still work with Oracle in terms of just connecting to it, and mm. it's, it's fine. That's. I mean, maybe it was the data model I was working with because I was working with a. Well, that can do it. What was I connecting to? One, one source, one world. What was that? Some ERP. Oh, the system. SAP. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. S- um, yeah, they want. What was it called? My business one, one or world, one world? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I yeah, I was connected to that, and that was a pain in the ass. Yeah, that does surprise me. Really complicated data models and millions of join tables. I mean, yeah. I mean, anytime you're working on a system and you you look at the table list and it's you know more than ten thousand tables or something like that, it's like okay, I'm screwed here. <laughs> <clears throat> I think eventually I copped out and got them to just create a bunch of views for that's, me. That's yeah, that's that's my preferred strategy too. It's just like, yeah. listen, you're gonna have to like tell me, give me views or store <laughs> procedures to call or something. To- oh, and and then and then it became a good idea because then I was abstracted from the from the data. Well, that's true. So, so. Or if they or if they notice a bug in how the data's being queried or something, they can just fix that in their view and not have yeah. to worry about. Calling you, yeah. 
Okay, well, let me get through a couple of quotes here on here. So, uh, see, both companies are actively working to replace Oracle software running on critical business systems with, with open source database software alternatives and have made significant progress towards getting off Oracle entirely, according to people familiar with the matter. Now, this is funny because do you remember when Salesforce announced, in fact, they, they, they reached out to, to Postgres as in, uh, the, the company and, mm-hmm. and you know, they did a kind of a joint publicity on Salesforce's initiative and they were going to hire, um, I pulled up the thing here, the 40 to 50 Postgres engineers for a huge Postgres project at Salesforce.com. And that was, 2000, that was 2012. Was that five years ago? Yeah, I think so. Now, I don't know that they don't have any Postgres, but I don't think that initiative was successful. I think that's when they realized... Oh, Heroku's running on Postgres? No, no. Heroku is not running on Postgres. Well, Heroku the, offers Postgres as an option, as it always has. That has nothing to do Salesforce with Salesforce. The Salesforce Connect technology with Heroku runs on Postgres. It's a replication of Postgres databases. Yeah, yeah. So. But Salesforce... That's what I meant. Yeah, so, which runs inside uh, Heroku, which is on AWS. Right. Um, it's the sure it was the Russian dolls, the Russian Inception dolls. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, what are those called? I forgot. I just, I just call them Russian dolls. I started calling them Inception dolls. But, yeah, yeah, it's a good name for them. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I, you know, and, and I Salesforce there, uh, and the fact they have this all the responsibilities. Let's see, design and implement major pieces of Salesforce com uh, core database infrastructure. Uh, let's see, yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't go into a huge detail on what their you know business strategy is, but you know one of the, the one of the, some of the desired skills are you know experience building a high performance large scale database platform, right? So you know you can you, it's pretty easy to see what they were trying to do. They're trying to replace Oracle, yeah. And I don't think that ever came to fruition. Um, again, I'm not saying they don't have any Postgres, but I think that particular thing failed. So it's it's funny. It's like what everything that's sold is new again. Yeah. This article and the information is like, yeah, I know. I heard about this five years ago. Nothing happened. Um, because I think you, know, you go, <laughs> I think the people people that make these decisions don't realize how wrapped around Oracle's axle you get. Because Salesforce is, I mean, it's their their security model is implemented through Oracle proprietary um, extensions. Um, tons of performance things that are directly, you know, Oracle proprietary. Enterprise features, all the log shippings that, in fact, the, the I can't remember the name of it, whether Oracle's name for it, but they have a a new kind of log shipping technology that after the data loss event that happened a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, that Salesforce um, purchased and licensed and implemented from them. So it's like, you got to replace all this stuff. And yeah. in a lot of cases, they're just, there's not a replacement for it. You're either going to have to forego certain features, certain reliability or security or or performance and just deal with like adding more boxes or like not having that same kind of, same kind of security. Or, yeah, or you just you don't do it. You just stay on Oracle. Anyway, um, da, 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 let's see. I think to talk about Amazon, its retail unit has switched to to internal databases that underpin its massive e-commerce operations. Uh, they've switched them from Oracle to NoSQL, a type of open source database software. Said two people with knowledge of the change. <laughs> <laughs> so, according to two people, NoSQL is an, is a type of open source database software, John. Cool. And they've switched from Oracle to NoSQL. <laughs> That fits, you know, in, that fits in well with the old marketing campaign of no software. No but, software, no sequel. But when you, the, the way that sentence is written, that, that tells you, it totally makes transparent the, 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 the level of person that wrote that article. Yeah. 
either that or the editor got in and screwed it up, which is always a possibility. You always have to you have to be careful when you when you're considering like an author of an article. It's like, yeah, their editor editor could have gotten in here and totally screwed this up, but who knows? Anyway, uh, Salesforce, which uses Oracle's database and its customer management and marketing automation software, also is moving away from Oracle. So there it is. They're moving away from Oracle. John it says it right there, black and white. Salesforce has been developing an Oracle database replacement codenamed Sayonara. <laughs> Japanese for goodbye. <laughs> and now is ready to deploy it internally, according to a former Salesforce employee with knowledge of the matter. Uh, Salesforce expects to be completely off Oracle by 2023. Hmm. 2023. Huh? So, and again, again, we're revising history. So, suppose they're saying that the Sayonara project was started, or at least was first report, reported on in May of 2016. But again, obviously, its roots go back. It, well, six years ago now. Uh, databases are one of the hardest types of technologies to switch because they typically are used by multiple software applications within an organization, all of which have to be rewritten or replaced in order to work with a new database. That takes time and is one reason why database migration projects often take years to complete. Uh, for Amazon, moving off Oracle has been a roughly 15-year process. Is Amazon even 15 years old? <laughs> Where they come out of the womb, you know, with a or you know, nice license of Oracle in its hand or something? I think so. <laughs> God, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You, anyway. you do remember that they they started as started out as a online uh, book retailer, right? Yes, I used to buy books from them. Yeah. Well, that was probably running an Oracle. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it's it's just weird. You don't hear a store. I mean, startups but, startups don't run on any proprietary te- technology anymore. It's it's all you know, it's all open source stuff. Uh, no, it's was, not. It's all on Amazon, which is thus in turn on Oracle. <laughs> Inception Oracle. So I think, I mean, well, you have to separate AWS and, and Amazon as a company. They're talking about Amazon as a company. Yeah. I mean, AWS does offer Oracle as a service. But what they're talking about is, is a couple of things. Amazon's basically all their storefront stuff. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of Oracle there. And they ran their company as an organization. I think they ran like or, uh, Amazon, or sorry, Oracle, you know, ERP and financials and things like that. Anyway, um, speaking of Amazon, since we can stay on Amazon, think for a second. Did you see that they might buy Target, according to Gene Munster, who is like, as far as I know, one of the one of the worst predictors of any of these financial analysts ever. Target seems like such a big beast to buy, but I mean, that would definitely give them instant retail fronts. I mean, they already started buying grocery stores. You know, and, and when I was reading about this, I, and I don't have the figure right in front of me, but I didn't read because, you know, you always talk about how you compare Amazon to Salesforce and then Amazon doesn't make any money. But this article was like, yeah, Amazon, because um, they're kind of comparing the size of Amazon to Target, Amazon has $14 billion in their most recent, you know, kind of annual thing, $14 billion in EBITDA, which is earnings before depreciation, interest, tax, and amortization, I guess. So, uh, yeah, no, that was the first I heard that Amazon was was considering. I mean, is that just like a rumor? Or is it? It's a rumor. That's okay. Gene Munster. Like I said, again, now did you not follow? Because he got uh, to me, he got at least when I became aware of him was probably close to ten years ago when he started predicting all kinds of stuff with around iPhone and Apple, and he no. just was hilariously wrong all the time. And he still has a job and apparently makes a ton of money because his name is still everywhere. It's like how can you be so wrong and people still. But you just have to be right money. once, you know, you know, one one tenth so. of the time, maybe. But no, he made, he made the inter- or this article that I read 
made an interesting point about how it seems like that would be an e- not that hard of a buy for Amazon because Amazon is so big. Amazon is like basically revenue-wise, I think around 10 times the size of Target, something like that. Mm-hmm. But when you compare like EBITDA, like Amazon, I think Target has more EBITDA than Amazon does. So in terms of like actually making money, I could be wrong about that. But it's there when you compare when you compare like earnings versus revenue, they're a lot closer earnings wise. And so that could be it, it, it. Basically, the point is it could be a a much bigger purchase than what it seems. So it doesn't really make much sense to me because I mean, yeah, it would give them retail fronts, and and Target does dabble in groceries as well. So you'd have grocery and you know. Well, they already have Whole Foods for groceries. I know, but this would just further entrench yeah, them because I mean, right. Whole Foods isn't everywhere. I mean, they're in, they're not as right. widespread as Targets are. Yep. Um, but the only problem is, is I thought I thought places like Amazon, everything were killing retail stores that nobody wanted to go to them anymore, and and we were all just gonna get little drones to our houses, killing them or, or rebooting them and using them as little tran- as little distribution centers that are right inside your neighborhood. Yeah, maybe. Yes, yeah, so I, I don't 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 ask me. I don't know. I mean, that's what I would think. I mean, why, why would they get in? You know, this grocery thing, this you know, online grocery buying, or or you order online and you just pick. You know, you drive your car up and they're like they they bring your order out to you, all that kind of stuff. Do you guys do that? Any of that? No, oh, no. There's, I think we do it for dog food. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds horrible because the, my my reasoning is going to be most of the food we buy is fresh. You know, vegetables and things like that are fresh meats, and we want to look and see what we're getting. Exactly. I don't want someone else picking my meat. I want to see a certain amount of marbling or a certain, you know, whatever. I don't want someone picking my meat. <laughs> um, and so, for the things we buy, like if I was buying a bunch of like macaroni and cheese boxes, yeah, if right. that's how I lived. Um, that's what I, I live on. I guess, yeah, mac and cheese, ramen, potato well, chips. You know, if I was when I was younger and it was poor and didn't have any money or or even gas money, I might consider just you know ordering it off Amazon and having it delivered, but. These days, I try to eat more healthier, and yeah. I want to. I want to I mean, pick the produce. I want to pick the meat. I want to. want to pick the fish. When you want, uh, you know, artisanal avocado toast, you don't want someone picking your avocados for you, right? Don't you want to do that yourself? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want them here. Send this out to them. This is this is about to expire. I mean, have you Take ever this. have you ever tried to spread avocado that's not quite ripe yet? Yes, it's like spreading cold peanut butter. It does not work. So, I hear you. All right. Well, any other uh, Salesforce stuff or what are the other topics we got? I've got a couple of just uh, kind of cl- uh, closeout items. So whatever, whatever else you want to cover. Well, I still have some, some holdover things I wanted to get to. I want to talk about Apex Sharp. Um, I did want to give a shout out to sh- James Estevez on our Slack channel. who oh, uh, for uh, p- posting our sticker in Reykjavik? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. It's kind of funny to think that, you know, the good Dacer logo is out there somewhere on some pole. Yeah. <laughs> In Iceland, yeah, well, that was cool. It'd be even better if That's, I could have put it there myself. It's probably the I, the most the northern northernmost point that uh, one of our stickers has ever gotten. Yeah, it's pretty far yeah, up there. It's pretty cool. It's cold up there, huh? I imagine so. Doesn't it melt and turn green at some point? Hence Greenland. No, I, Greenland is covered in Greenland's a, a, just a, just a giant piece of ice for the most part, and Iceland is is actually quite green. Yeah, I think, I think that always confused me because I think they call Iceland, but Iceland does get green, and they call Greenland, but Greenland doesn't get green. Is that right? I don't know. I, I remember yeah, as a kid like right. wrestling with that in my head, and I always confused the two. Greenland is all like tundra. It's a giant. What are the, what's the, the what's the big chunk of ice called? Iceberg? No, the um, oh, oh glacier. It's like a giant oh, glacier. glacier. Yeah, iceberg is a glacier that's broken off. Is that right? 
I, yeah, I think icebergs are floating in water, right? I do technology. I don't do yeah, technology. I <laughs> Sorry, people. <laughs> oh, my ignorance is showing. I tuck that back in. Uh, how do you feel about this kernel uh, memory leak issue? Is it something to panic or is it just media hype? Is it the Intel thing? Yeah. I think it's, if people can, here's the problem. If people can figure out how to exploit it, 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 it could be like a mass, you know, attack on um, on the AWSs of the world, the Salesforces, you know, the whatever. And if you just configure, you know, you send it a certain, you know, message or something and it, it causes it to, I read about another one where they, they could send it a certain message or <clears throat> request or something and it would cause the CPU to go into an endless loop. So <clears throat> you could just do like a massive, easily do like a massive denial of service attack. No. I mean, it, it could so be. our biggest concern isn't necessarily our individual personal computers, but you know the the massive servers out there that we depend on because it does affect Linux, does affect Windows, and it of course it affects Macs. So everything, as well right? Intel. anything on Intel, yeah. Like, of course, it. I guess it can be fixed with um, a software patch. So if the OSs can can patch, you know, can somehow work around that bug. I don't know how. Yeah, my understanding is that the details of the exploit is, or at least of the. The issue itself is under embargo right now while vendors oh, that's patch. Good. Oh, yeah. Because- so I think the big concern is that, you know, make sure you you update because once that embargo gets lifted, the news is out there and people will start playing around with it, I'm sure. Exactly. So. Yep. So I don't know. I think it's a pretty big deal. I mean, uh, Intel's stock fell through the floor and AMD's stock was through the roof today. I I would tell me I'm curious here. I'll ask John. What is your impression of AMD's position in the you know in the CPU marketplace for computers? I thought okay, I thought they were just basically gone. I mean, of course they bought Nvidia. Was it Nvidia they bought? Or was it, I think ATI? it was Nvidia? I was going to say. I mean, they, they started ATI. they started getting some traction with the gaming market because mm-hmm. they were starting to offer you know. They they were trying to offer they were trying to keep up and compete with Intel so they were offering things with a little bit higher specs or you know a, a you know a few more cores and things like that so so then people were actually starting to compare them as before they were just all Intel all the way um, and so those started coming out and so in the last year or so I started seeing more hype around AMD um, so I don't know I mean I, I guess this kind of further emboldens them it, it it's kind of like a, a gift <laughs> I mean my 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 question to myself was just. Yeah, I mean, it's a great opportunity, but are they prepared to capitalize on that opportunity? Oh, yeah. Do they actually have competitive products? Oh, yeah. If so, why Why don't I ever hear, why is anyone using them? I think because a lot of the, I mean, they're the down, consumer market, it's, it, it's really only, it's still those guys that are building, custom building PCs and things that are caring about this. Whereas before, you used to care about that because it was part of the marketing campaigns, but now people don't care about what's inside their devices. They don't care that there's a Intel inside my iPhone. They don't care. They just want the iPhone. They don't care that the MacBook has a certain spec. They just want they just want a notebook, right? Um, so we're getting further removed from the from the hardware because there's there's nothing to update. You can't open this MacBook and, and add a new CPU. You can't open the phone and add more memory. So people in the consumer side don't really care about it as much. But those that are doing custom builds, either for servers or you know for gaming PCs or you know they're building <laughs> their 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 big machine to handle all their video editing or photography or anything like that. Those guys do care. Uh, and so they're staying, they're keeping up with that. But I think, you know, the average consumer just doesn't care anymore because they don't have to. There's nothing they can do. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've had AMD in the past, but that was back, well, that was a long time ago. Um, yeah. In fact, I was thinking, you know, I, you, I had it on my mind to build a machine last year and, and I was considering going to AMD. Hmm. I still have it on my mind, but I, I just don't. A machine just, for what? I was just going to build a 
kick like ass a home PC. machine or yeah. okay a I desktop just, yeah I gotcha okay. I might stick some games on it I don't know I just I haven't built a PC in forever and I just wanted to build one right it's it's crazy now because number one everything just like plugs together so easily but also there's the what's the site out there where you can um, there's a site that has basically like a full com- compatibility um, database and oh. you can just plug in the things you want it just tells you Exactly gives you the options, tells you what you can pick, and make sure it's all compatible. I'm sure someone knows, someone will tell us. But yeah, I haven't come across yeah. that. But I've also I've also had a Cyrix CB. Do you remember Cyrix? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think I had a Cyrix 486 of some sort. Yeah, I think I started getting. What was it? The 286 days I started getting into it. That's my earliest memory. Now those were were those all Intel? Were there were there clones back then? I don't remember. I don't either. I know my 286 was an Intel. My, um, uh, yeah, no, I don't see. I think I skipped 386, but in which I was the whole that's a sad, sore that's a sore subject with me. But anyway, um, my 486 <laughs> was a DX266. I know that was, I think that was only Intel. I'm pretty sure that was Intel. But after that, I guess I'm got a Cyrix, like a 586, which I think it was like right when Pentium came out. And this was like an alternative to that. I hated Pentium. I, I liked the concept of the cartridge, but I just, I just, for some reason, I just never got into it. Well, original Pentiums were still just um, pin pin grid array chips. They were not the, those big cartridges. I thought that's when the Pentium name started. Was with that, and then they no. went and they they got rid of the casing and they went back to the pin. No, it started. I thought that's what it was. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I used to sell it, but yeah, I don't remember now. Anyway, all right. Uh, so Apex Sharp. Let's get to that, and then we'll we'll close out. Apex Sharp. Sharp Apex. Okay, so what do you have to say about that? It's uh, sharpening the apex and turning it into a blade. Hmm. Interesting metaphor. Yeah, I don't know. No, it's it, I got I uh he uh, JJ Arthur is the one who's who's working on that and um he uh spent some time with me. I think I spent like a good hour just kind of going through some of the features, just a really high level. So you know, nothing really major, but just kind of a high level, just kind of what he was working on and and what his goals were and what his intents were and things like that. Um. I know in the past I, I tried to talk about it a little bit, and I kind of likened it to to something like TypeScript, where you would essentially write in C sharp and then compile it down to to Apex. Um, that that you know, the, I had a lot of questions from that, and I think I think a lot of people in general would have a lot of questions like that. Like, I think you had the, some of the same questions as like, well, how does it support you know unit testing? Or how does it support things like that? Um, and a lot of it really isn't about. Um, so I guess the best way to describe it is that most is his goal is to try to be able to leverage some of the language features. Whereas IntelliJ or Illuminate Cloud, when we think about tools like that, it's really about kind of le- leveraging the IDE to help you develop better Apex code. Um, I think what what Jay's goal is, and hopefully I'm not bastardizing this, but I think what his goal is is to allow you to use language features. Um, there's certain things he's not going to be able to support, like generics and things like that, that you won't be able to kind of really kind of get in because that's such a compiler specific language thing I guess because he's got to he's got to do things that can be transpiled to right so if it's if it's a concept that he can transpile um, then it's something he can support but mm-hmm. you know like generics is one that he wouldn't be able to support because that's such a language thing I mean he could but then he maybe he would he could transpile them to just basically a bunch of casts mm-hmm. maybe and then and then C sharp at least you could do when you're in C sharp land, you have um, more type safety. Yeah, you're going to lose that type safety when you go to Apex, but that's because there are no generics. Right. I don't know, I'm curious to know if that's even on his radar at all, or not in his uh, what do you call it? Uh, 
roadmap. Sort of. <laughs> the roadmap. Yeah. So I think I think one of the interesting concepts around this is 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 like I said, I likened it to something like TypeScript, which is a one way thing. You 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 you're in TypeScript world and you compile down a JavaScript and your flow is always unidirectional. You're not taking your JavaScript and converting it back into TypeScript. Um, whereas Jay, he wanted to be able to try to support some kind of two-way communication. So he further limited some of the features of, C- of Apex Sharp to things that he could convert back and forth. Um, although I think he's starting to consider maybe that type of one-way and keeping that, that kind of bidirectional tool as kind of a launching point. So you could kind of take an existing project and turn it into C Sharp and then just kind of code from there and then move it back one direction. Um, at least that was just some of my thoughts on on how I think that would work a little bit better. That way you can use more language features and not be restricted by, you know, having to be able to have that two-way. Yeah, I've, I've never seen round-trip transpiling work correctly. Yeah. Um, so right now it's not, it's it's one way. It's for Apex to C-sharp, or sorry, C-sharp to Apex. No, right now it'll go both ways. Right now, now you can take an existing project and turn it into C-sharp and then you can take C-sharp. Um, but that does mean that there are certain features he's not supporting. Like, like he probably could transpile, like, say, VARs, um, but he's not right now because he needs a way to know that this variable used to be a var in C sharp and yeah, because vars have different semantics than I mean it's so and and that just apex I, and I I don't know if there's maybe a way you could you could not without trying that. to like add a bunch of commenting or have some kind of metadata file that goes along with everything to try to help transpile it back and forth yeah, for but, for two way right yeah. yeah and that's man round trip that's that's a tough one. But I think it's an interesting concept, and he, he kind of did a, a quick demo of some of the things you could do, and and you know it was noticeably faster to be able to develop, especially for someone who's who's a C sharp developer like me, and you know being able to code in that environment, being able to um, use all the toolings in Visual Studio, um, being able to run tests. If you set up your frame your your mocking libraries or your mocking framework, you can keep everything in, in C sharp. And then just let that compile down, and, and then you know run normal unit tests or what you would call integration tests. Um, so I, I I kind of enjoyed it. I think it's a really great project. I think I think the advantages are for these larger kind of shops that are traditionally C sharp, you know .NET people or t- .NET developers um, who are either Salesforce is being introduced to their company and they're having to. Not having to, but they're now responsible for customizing, implementing solutions on that. I could see it being a big value to them um, because now they're able to either a develop and and code in that, or even just kind of use it as a transitioning tool to kind of understand the differences between the two languages and, and kind of learn more and still be able to be productive. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on on some of that? I mean, what what is your thought on the concept of transpiling in general? Well, Apex. it's uh, uh, just from a <clears throat> software engineering nerd type of thing, computer science. Uh, it's it's interesting to me. Uh, it just seems like a really difficult project to to execute at the level that would be necessary for people to use it in you know their day in and day out work. But I could be wrong. I've never tried to do that, so maybe it's totally possible and makes a lot of sense. And uh, I mean, you know, obviously it's it's adding it's adding com- complexity. I mean. You're, you're obviously you're you're going to want to you're going to be I mean your your primary source code is is C sharp mm-hmm. and that's what you're checking into your version control and everything right and so as a part of your one of your build steps now is everything's got to be transpiled from C sharp to Apex right. and put in some temporary place and that then that gets put into some other build thing which then eventually gets you know sent through the lovely metadata API to Salesforce and then and then you know when you when that 
compiles or or you get compiler errors and you come back with line numbers and things. The question is, you know, does do we have type maps or uh, not, not source maps where we can we can actually see those in C sharp? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, I don't know. There's just again, it's more it's complexity, it's additional steps, and um, that's it. Seems to me that would be really hard to make that work. But again, I can see how if you're a, I mean, I'd much rather you know. Obviously, the tooling and the language C sharp C sharp itself. Why is that so hard for us to say? I don't know. Hang on one second. <laughs> Paul Marco Rubio here. Um, <clears throat> uh, what was I saying? I don't know. That it was introducing complexity and. But oh, and I was saying, if, yeah, if you're either a C, you know a C sharp developer or whatever that it, you know, I don't know. I see that I, I'd you, you've got. You're working in a good language, a better language, C sharp, and you're also using some world class tooling. Mm-hmm. So I totally get why. And if that, and again, if that can be, if that can be pulled off, that's I think that's fairly compelling, honestly. Well, I think for me, I mean, outside of the the Salesforce interactions, the the database interactions that you would normally have, um, he was showing at least in his demos, he was showing working code. It was working C sharp code. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that meant he could run, you know, various tools that are that are available for C sharp, you know, to either, you know, check syntax or check, you know, do error checking or inspections or even just tools that are helped to help augment or um, even do kind of productivity enhancements and things like that. All of those were now enabled for that. Now, obviously, you couldn't be able to compile a library or 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 you know use some kind of vendor library and and get that compiled because there's there's no source code for that. Um, but I think in terms of just kind of base language features, um, there was a lot to it. And it was interesting to see working code and then have that compiled down and it work in Salesforce. I mean, it was from, a, from a, I guess, like the way you put it, from a nerd out perspective, it was really interesting and very intriguing. It probably, and I don't, I don't know how he's implemented this, but it may just be that Apex is, pr- is, is uh, it's probably fair to say that it's, it's essentially a subset of C Sharp. And so you could take Apex, do a few just syntactical transformations on it, and you've got working C sharp. Right. Whereas again, the other way doesn't work. That's what's a little concerning. Is like, you know, like for example, C sharp has uh, value types, which, which go oh they they get allocated memory different. They 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 end up on the stack and not and not on the heap, right? So, and the way they work is differently, and and so. Um, the, you know the pass by reference versus pass by value semantics are, are a little bit different, all that kind of stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. I just maybe it, that doesn't matter, or maybe again, maybe he just says maybe the maybe with Apex Sharp, it's just like hey, you can't use value types, you can't use generics. There's just certain you know you need to use a subset that's compatible with Apex. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of kind of things to cover in that area. Just to, I don't know if it's 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 more of an education process. Say okay, here's what your limitations are, but here's what the pros here's what the pros are. That type of situation, or if it's you know just more of an ambitious goal of of trying to enable as many features as possible, like not saying no to anything, but eventually getting there. So I mean, is it something where you you could? I mean, are you interested in trying to do your your Salesforce work in C sharp now? Or and if not, what is it? What needs to happen for for it to get there? And that's a good question because I, I am interested in trying it out. I want to experience and see if if it helps. I, I one of my one of my big things about <clears throat> the way I develop is um, I save often, I run often, um, but that 
changed when I started doing a lot of Apex development. Yeah. You're saving infrequently, yeah. running infrequently. I mean, I used to I used to save and execute. I mean, and not just you know a, a unit test, which I really didn't do much unit testing in the early days. It was really was only when Salesforce forced it on me that I really started doing unit testing. To be honest, um, so th- so back then it was I'd write some code and I'd execute it. Yeah, um, I'd run it and see what happened. And I'd look at my my log and and the stack tracing, and, and that was another feature that I loved. Is, is C Sharp has all those great tools. I mean, it gives you uh, just the whole stack, and you can walk through and see each variable decoration and what that value is at this point. And you can do your breakpoints, and it's all local and it's all fast. Um, so that's those are all the things I love about you know developing say a, lo- a language that's local to my machine and I can run on my machine. Um, yeah, the thing about that is that I don't I don't think that's ever going to be the same. Like just because it runs correctly on the .NET runtime does not mean it's going to run correct the same. I think that's I think that's a bit of a leap. Again, could well, it be is, wrong, but I mean but... we don't have I mean we have analogies to that today. I mean we have we have the whole JavaScript and TypeScript. I mean we have that, and we have we have different yeah, browsers. But, uh, I mean we no, have no, different browsers. Different. That... You're comparing apples and oranges. TypeScript. Re- and it, you, usually the way TypeScript, the way I always use it, is it compiles down to JavaScript, and I'm run, I'm always running JavaScript. Now we have source maps, so right. I'm, I'm, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying we have analogies to this this type of concept. It's we have we have TypeScript, we have source maps, and, and the solutions that that solves. But that's not an analogy to this. It, it'd be more like I'm going to write some. Let's say I'm going to write some C code. Okay. Okay. Because C is kind of compatible across platforms, and I. You know, I want to. I want to write. Um, I'm going to write a Linux program, and I'm going to write it in C. I'm going to write it on my Mac because, and I'm and I'm going to use only standard C things, right? So I, I, and I can compile and run it on my Mac. Does that mean it's going to compile and run the same on Linux? I, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a different. Well, the run. HTML maybe, maybe and JavaScript we code might not run the same on all browsers. I mean, it's only by happenstance that that um, what is it, Chromium or whatever the the JavaScript engine that that Chrome uses has taken over the world because I think Opera and, V8 and or what are you what are you talking about? Firefox uses the same engine now. Talking about V8? I think so. Okay. I don't know if they've changed it. Um, but yeah, I mean Firefox is using that engine now. Um, I think Opera moved to it. Um, well, of course, Mac still has their own. Yeah, cr- uh, Chrome actually moved <laughs> on. Uh, V8 is deprecated. What's their new one? Um, yeah, I don't remember what it's called. Blink, maybe. I know they were working on a new one, and I don't know yeah. if that one ever came out. No, I, I get what you're saying, though. Um, and yeah, it's just like, I don't know. For better, I, I don't know to what extent, but again, just because, you know, w- when you run code on the .NET runtime, it's it's going, that doesn't mean that it's going to run the same on Apex. In fact, it probably doesn't. Now, maybe in 99 per, 99.5% of the time, that d- doesn't matter, right? The differences don't matter. It's close enough. And, that, and right. so it gets you really, you know, far down the road, you get a lot of value out of it. Being able to just to have you know immediate code completion, compile error, you know compiling errors, you know all the tooling around .NET, so um, all the doc in the code documentation stuff. What else do they have? In- inspections and and refactoring, and that's always going to be better on .NET than it is in Salesforce, right? Yeah. So you've got all, you get all that. So again, I I see how it it's interesting, and and someone who and you could finally use that resharper license you have. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't have one, but. I thought you said you got the full. No, stack. I didn't. I oh, decided didn't. not to. I oh, stuck with just IntelliJ. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, I think it's apexsharp.com. I think it is. If you're interested in learning more, they put up a website yet? Last That's time not, I looked, it, it was. I don't there. think it's .net. It might be dot. dot net. I mean, yeah, it's apexsharp.com. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Oh, he does have a website now. Yeah. Cool. It's got yeah. Some. This is new. I I think it used to have like a placeholder now. Right. Right. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, go to go to apexshark.com and see the new website because I didn't see this before. And, and no, we did not get paid any money to talk about this. This is not an ad, believe it or not. We're just interested. We're actually interested in it. Me more so than Jeremy because Jeremy's a... Well, I just, a, I'm, not Don, I'm not a .NET not, guy. Jeremy's a beaner. And I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to run Windows. So it's just not a thing for me. Well, I guess I does. It, would it? I think this is a question for Jay, maybe, unless you know the answer. Does it? Would it work on the .NET Core and, and running this on a Mac? Does that run on a Mac? It does, right? That's a good question. I think he. I bet it would because it. I bet he's just using the, the really basic, you know, services of the the core uh, CLR. Yeah, so. probably. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I wonder if it would run on the core. That'd be a question for Jay. Yeah. I'm sure Jay will let us know. Right, yes, I mean, that's all I got. I mean, we got that. Um, we do have some topics from the community that we didn't get to this week. Um, I mean, someone asked us about big objects. We were talking about it earlier, but yeah. neither neither you nor I know much about that. I mean, I've never used it. You know? well, it's something that's just going GA, I think, in, or just came out as GA. So it's not something I've had exposure to. I would like to learn more about is it. it. Even, let me ask you this. Is it even um, relational? Or is it, or is it you know, document or whatever? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it exists separately from the standard objects. I think this is not, I think this is relational, but it's not Oracle. That's what I'm thinking. I think it's one of the first feet out of the Oracle uh, pool. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Because it's, there's no, there's basically a really limited security model. So I think it's just like a user's profile's object and field permissions. I don't think it, you know, does anything else. Um, there's no transactions. Uh, so it's, yeah. So it's, but I mean, all that factors into the performance of it. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean so that's why all those security layers and all those kind of things piled on top right. of it really do impact performance. Yep. I mean, if you want to talk about why it takes so long to load a thousand records into to Salesforce, when right. you can do that in a SQL database I mean, in no time, there's no triggers or flows or workflow or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I mean, I guess the upside is is they give you an insane amount of storage for for probably way cheaper. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you have the performance, and then you have you have not only do you have a higher limit in storage, but you also have the the performance boost of being able to shuffle shuffle around millions if not billions of records. I also think there's not a lot of tooling in Salesforce in the in the Salesforce, you know, customization or setup to to deal with these. Uh, I think you still have to use like the metadata API or some other API to actually define the tables and uh, fields and things like that. Yeah, and that probably speaks to it being such a separate technology. I mean, who that's, asked, that's who probably, asked us about this? Do they allow, do they let us use their name? Uh, this was Mike from Durham, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, so I don't again, sorry, we don't <laughs> we've never used it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um you know it's again it's it's one of these things that Salesforce is throwing all these interesting kind of new tools at us and saying here uh, we're we're giving you some options what do you think you know use this it's it's a different set of trade offs right you know if you need a just a large you know storage device that's fast and doesn't have all this other stuff then try this yeah. And I think it'll be interesting for especially for some of the industries that they're trying to move into and I think that's really why some of this stuff exists because it's not like it just oh, the, oh we just want to support some big data it's it's not it's not like that it's but there's some industries no, and, it, and it's not even big data that's the thing it, at least from my understanding it's not it's not big data I mean so don't just because it's called big objects yeah. doesn't but yeah it, poor choice of words on my part but uh, no you know, no you're there's fine. some, there's some industries that, that have large data requirements like they have large data retention requirements right. legal re- yeah. data retention requirements yeah. especially like life insurance or something where you have to keep records going back I don't know what 20 30 years yeah uh, that piles up. Turns out people live for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> <Or> <laughs> some longer too. Yeah. yeah so I, th- I think it, it's really geared towards a lot of those industries where they have to have this data, um, and it's giving them a place to put it. Now, I think there's some limitations on how you access that data, um, and I'm not sure what that is. Like, I, I doubt you could use the standard 
Salesforce, Einstein, reporting analytics, whatever it's called now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It. Yeah, exactly. I have no uh, idea. You might have to buy a license right. of uh, of Einstein analytics. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means maybe, that maybe means so no, many things now. Maybe you have to buy a license of big Einstein objects. Maybe. Yeah. So that's that's something we need to 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 learn about before we can really offer any kind of right. specific advice. But ultimately, I think it's good that they're they're offering a feature to support that because I know a lot of industries that need that feature. So right. So happy to watch that, and if I get any experience, I'll definitely share that with you guys. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Yeah, you said you had some closing talk, some closing things. It's on you now. Yeah, I think I think I'll save those. It is dark. It is dark, and we're, we recorded late anyway, so we got to get out of here. But yeah. uh, thanks for joining us for the first episode of the new year. Right? Yeah. Happy and, New Year, everyone! Um, Thank you, everyone, for the 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 well wishing, the wishing us well, and the Happy New Years on the Slack channel. And, <laughs> Um, yeah. Speaking of Slack, uh, you should join our Slack channel if you're not already in there. Or our Slack team, I should say. We have we do have a, a couple of channels. <laughs> uh, to do that, go to gooddaysirpodcast.com, click on community, and just put your email address, and John will add you dutifully, manually. Uh, I also, might change that this year. <laughs> uh, we love getting reviews on iTunes and Google something and Stitcher. Or no, we're no, we don't do Stitcher. Sorry. Uh, nope. Scratch that one. What else? Share us on the socials. Tell your friends. We need to we need to grow the grow the podcast, John. Grow the podcast this year. Yeah, and that's, if you need stickers to put on random places, uh, just let me know. I'll we need to apply some. all of our collective <laughs> MBA skills to to grow the podcast. That's right. Um, what else? Yeah, I think that's it. Reviews they're always good. I already said that. Five stars, all the stars. Hardus in the Overcast or all. The, what are the other? What's the other pod? What's the big Android podcatcher? Does it have a uh, liking system? I can't remember what the name of it is now. Yeah, I don't remember either. I see it on the stats, but... Anyway, all right. Bye-bye. And to that, I say good... (laughs) (laughs) That threw me off. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Ugh, you suck at that. All right. You know what this is, John? What? This is our first after show. You sprung this on me. I did. (laughs) And you know what that pause was for? That was not an edited in pause, folks. That was a live. That was a live pause. I was telling John to be quiet. It it wasn't just giving me the creepy eyes because all I see is your eyes. Oh, sorry. I was trying to give you the hush thing. No, Um, I just saw your eyes. Oh, did you? Just like these piercing eyes. Oh, sorry. That probably was creepy. No, I I want this to be an Easter egg. It's an Easter egg after show. Nice. So we're not even going to advertise it. Just people might find it. I thought it'd be cool to do an after show. Um, because we have all this like just random crap that we talk about sometimes at the beginning of the show or middle and thought, well, let's, uh, let's try something new this year. Let's put all the, let's get all the, the core stuff. Topics yeah, and news we'll put that and in the front of, of the show. We'll keep it, we'll keep it all business. And then in the after show, we can talk about all the kinds of other crap. I like that. Okay. So my first topic for the after show is, um, and you may have too, I got new health insurance because my health insurance expires. Yes. At the, because I cannot afford anymore actual, you know, $1,500 a month. The Affordable Care Act. I cannot afford any of it because it's not, not only is it, yeah, you're looking at 20 grand a year in premiums, yeah. but the network is horrible. Yeah. There are no hospitals around here that are on it. You're just going to die if something happens to you. Our, none of our doctors are on it. It's, it's, it's a mess. It shouldn't even exist. It should be illegal. So anyway, so you and I both mm-hmm. did started doing this short-term major medical thing. I had no idea what that was until a couple of years ago when I started on it. But if it's basically, it's a, 
you know, the policy, once it's, it, it's a, for a defined term, it used to be you could all get on almost a one-year policy. That's what you and I both started with. Right. right? And, what, you know, there's no pre-existing conditions. So anything you had when you got on this policy, they're not going to cover already, mm-hmm. right? So luckily for my family, that wasn't that big of a deal. Right, same here. Now, if something happens to you, if you, if you get some health condition while you're on the policy, uh, during the policy period, it covers it. But once that policy's up after the end of that 12 months, when, if you renew, if they choose to renew you again or whatever, um, it's not going to cover that again. So, right. so that can be a big problem. Mm-hmm. Luckily for us so far, it hasn't been a problem yet, though. Right. The difference is instead of $20,000 in premium a year, we're paying like you know, $5,000 in premium a year. Or I think that's gone up now, but... Yeah, I can't do the math in my head. I think yeah. it's I think it's six or seven. It's, now. it's a big difference. I mean, it's it's at least half. Yep. Um, but one thing they changed, thanks to and I don't know if this is federal or state law, but those policies can only be now a max of ninety days. I think it was federal in attempt to prevent people like us from using yep. that this way. So now you know the, again, if you, the thing where you, if you got sick, like say a couple months in your policy, what's well, going to cover that sickness throughout the rest of the other you know ten months of the policy? Well, now you get it's a ninety day period. So let's get, mm-hmm. let's say you get sick two months in, they're only going to cover you for thirty days, and after that they're going to pay. No one's going to pay for any of that. I mean, you know, you could have something that's uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's not going to pay it. Yeah. So just welcome to bankruptcy. That's called medical bankruptcy. That's what you're going to do. Um, and here's the worst thing. So now my de- my deductible, which is not unusual, I and mean, this is kind of what we had last year, our deductible plus like coinsurance mm-hmm. is twenty one thousand dollars out of pocket. So after you hit twenty one thousand dollars out of pocket, the insurance kicks in. Right. But the problem is after each ninety day period thing, that thing that starts resets. over. So I basically <laughs> so have never hit it. I have an eighty four thousand dollar annual deductible now. Yeah, it's affordable. <laughs> Eighty four thousand. So, so get this. I'm paying eighty four thousand dollars plus probably six thousand dollars in premium. So ninety thousand dollars before the insurance company pays a dime. Where's all this money going? I have no idea. I mean, I read about it all the time. I mean, there's an, there was an, I think it was New York Times had a, had a big article today about why uh, American healthcare is so expensive. I mean, some yeah. people, you know. People wonder why it's so hard. People from other countries, there's like Western Europe and different places, they think, well, why don't you guys just get your crap together? I mean, we, we can do this. Sweden can do it. Or, you know, England's got their, their uh, H, HM, not HMS. The, oh, um, what's their system called? I forgot what it's anyway, called. Anyway, NHS. H, yeah. NHS. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, we just have unique challenges. First of all, we're much bigger than most of these other countries. Much, much bigger. Like, uh, you know, or, an order of magnitude at least. <clears throat> Um, and we have we have all kinds of other historical and structural and and issues that these that a lot of these other countries don't have. Um, our our economy is built differently. Our classes are built differently. Um, our tax system is built differently. It's, it's kind of a there's a lot of reasons for why things that work in other countries don't work here. <clears throat> and one, the, one reason is is that you know this we when we pay for being Americans when we when we uh, whether we're you know paying for drugs or mel- or um, Using uh, medi- any kind of medical tech or health technology, <clears throat> or doctors or whatever. I mean, if a lot of it we are funding uh, basically these things for the rest of the world. So, I mean, we it's a not a it's not a very well kept secret that we pay more for drugs than anyone else in the world does. And in fact, lots of countries pay you know a fraction of what we pay. But it's illegal for us to buy those drugs from other countries to save money where they're sold cheaper, right? Because they want us to pay you know, uh, $500 for a prescription one and in some other countries they pay $50 for it because someone has to fund these, these drug companies, mm-hmm. right? And so we do. Well, that's part, that's a big part of the reason why our healthcare is so expensive because we're funding the research for all this stuff that everyone else is enjoying. 
That's part of it. Unless you live, live on the border of some place and you can drive across yeah. and get it. And then there's a the theory that a lot of it's just greed. I mean, up and down the spectrum from, I mean, basically all the providers, the insurers, it's just full of so much greed, you know, and, and they yeah. do, I mean, you know, look at what, uh, you know, some of these doctors and things make. It's, it's. I mean, I'm not saying they don't deserve it. I'm not even, I don't, that, that's a, that's an economical, that's an economic argument that I'm just not qualified. I think you have to be, do all kinds of research to understand like what is a fair amount to make to ma- and all that stuff. And and then, you know, there's like, well, that should be just be single payer so that they, you know, it, all the prices are just set, right? Right. And, and I, I mean, that comes with its own challenges too. I it mean, does. We, we see some of the fallout from from the one thing that is covered by the, which is um the annual checkups. I mean, you were talking about this, how your appointments got broken up into two. Yeah, scary. And I think that's a symptom of the fact that the, the, the original the payment either isn't enough it's or not, they just yeah. don't ever get paid. Exactly. Or it's a, such a slow no, pay enough. they can't even count it. So you get you get one annual, you know, you get a physical a year for free. Uh, not for free. It's, it's covered by your insurance policy. You don't have to pay for it. Um, but what do doctors do? They split that up into two appointments. So they can bill the insurance company for the, for the annual First physical one. and they can bill you for a separate office visit, which is $150 for an office visit. And that's like, what is it? Why does it cost me 150 bucks just to step foot in here? I think we're in the wrong business, Jerry. I know. I keep saying that. <laughs> or like, like um, I had, you know, anytime there's plenty of emergency rooms around here because that, you know, it's funny now. You see emergency rooms and urgent cares popping up everywhere. Well, even I mean, the urgent care, they you you start out as a, in a clinical visit, and then they try their best to move you into the to emergency. Yep. To escalate you in emergency because it's different. Uh, Right. Out structure. So I got I had food poisoning once and I had I went to urgent care and they just they gave me a bag of saline and IV and a bag of saline for about an hour and my bill was three three thousand dollars. They did that with my son too when he when he had uh I guess the stomach virus that they wouldn't call it the flu, but they called it the stomach virus and um yeah they they immediately stuck him on an IV. And my doctor my doctor was like, Well that should have been like hundred and fifty dollars. I'm like, nope, they charged me three grand. And they could yeah. because it anytime a needle's involved, they get to that's that's one of the qualifying things to go to emergency. Right. But or or also when, when my son had to go to the emergency room at, at a hospital. Um, yeah, it, it was $5,000 just to step, just to be admitted into the emergency room, $5,000. And, and anything they actually have to do on, oh, you need stitches, you need an MRI, or you need a doctor to come in and actually look at you or whatever. That That's just on top of the $5,000. And it's like, this is not, anyone listening to that right now, anything, anyone listening to this right now, especially probably people that are not uh, in the United States are probably thinking, that is insane. And it is insane. But I mean, we have... Well, not only that, our, I mean, our government people- doesn't work well. It's so corrupt. I mean, even the a lot of the the the, the national systems we have now are just so f- fraught with fraud and just billing errors and people trying to game the system. I mean, you know, anytime you have a a target that's as big as a single payer in a country of this size, it's I mean, ev- it's everyone's job to basically to to scheme that system and to work it yeah. for their own advantage. It happens all the time. I mean, there are these companies out there that do, that handle all the billing and and stuff for all these different providers because they know how to like change the codes. Oh, you said you do this? Well, we're going to say you did this and this and this because it gets, it's a higher likelihood of getting paid and getting paid a higher amount. There's all this crap that happens. And it's, you know, again, it's like, it's so messed up and we're such a big country. It's like, how do you, how do you solve this? And I, I don't know. Obviously we don't have, no one has the answers or everyone thinks they have the answers, but. Yeah. All I know is that, is that um, if for anyone who's considering going independent or self-employment, I mean, that's, that's become such a huge factor in in determining a barrier. It's become a huge right, barrier, right? Yeah, I mean, p- people who have jobs where their employer pays for you know ninety five percent of their premium, mm-hmm. they they don't understand how much it. And they sh- it's a shame because they they and, I, and if you if you look at your paycheck, it, actually I don't even know if it'd be listed on that. I don't think it actually is. I well, think- I've I've always found it to be a shame. You know, when I started started doing this, 
um, I realized that for the longest time, I didn't realize how many taxes I paid. I never focused on what my gross income was. I focused on what my net income was. Well, sure. So that's, I never really thought about that's, You can't pay your rent with gross income. Yeah. So I never really thought about how much, how many taxes, how much taxes I was paying. I never really thought about, you know, how much my insurance was really costing, you know, after, you know, factoring out what the company was paying and all those kind of things. But as soon as you go independent, you realize, and you have to make quarterly tax payments, you realize how much you're paying in taxes and how much you're having to pay for, for just basic benefits like health insurance. Yeah, and like I said, I, the, what the the employer's part of your premium, I don't even think shows up on your pay stub. Um, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's yeah. probably more than what some people think. I mean, again, for a family, it's. Uh, I mean, and groups can negotiate. They get they're going to get probably a better deal than some in, uh, the individual policies. Yeah, but it's still expensive. I mean, you know, you if you've got a you know if you've got a couple in their in their forties and they've got kids, I mean, you're looking at twenty thousand dollars a year in premium on the, the employer's going to pay if they're paying you know the all the premium. Uh, another thing I want to talk about was just uh, along the lines of um, this little uh, after show we're doing here, which could be just a one-time experiment. But I have no idea. John might put the kibosh on this. But what? anything we want to do different in the new year? With the show? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, do we maybe do short, maybe do more focused, down-to-business, shorter shows? I, what? Yeah, I don't know. It's just an idea. I'm not. I'm not suggesting. I'm just throwing it out. Like, I mean, I'm not against having shorter shows or being more focused. It's just our thing has always kind of been this. You're walking into our, our casual conversation and, and it time is, boxing that kind of. It feels is, but like we, we're we've hit a limit. It. We've hit a limit in terms of the number of people that listen to this podcast, and it and it really. I mean, it's really hit a limit like yeah. a while back. And and I think the audiences, potential audiences, it's got to be like way bigger. I mean, well, there's so much upside, and the question is like, you know, what? What? Again, if it, as long as it's within the the realm of, it's not, it's still would be a fun show for us to do. Like, would we? Would I mean, if we could make some changes here and there, that maybe format because we don't have much of a format, really. No. Um, do some things format wise, or or length, or or whatever that that make it more palatable or interesting for to a wider audience. I mean, I'd I'd really like to grow the show. I, mean, I think we easily grow at ten x. I mean, that's. Well, That's how much up, there's so look, much upside. I think if we look back, one of the things, one of the big things we changed last year was we went to this catch and release, and that was a big productivity boost. I mean, we essentially record, we you know, you do the audio, I start editing the, the show notes, and then we we post. Right, that was right a behind there. the scenes change, right? I mean, it, it, did, was. it wasn't you know the, no, the we, link we kind wasn't of the link it. wasn't we, yeah, but we, we announced it, but did the nothing changed a part of the show. We didn't change the show for that. True, but I think that that. Having that process set in p- place, I'm going to throw another brainstorming idea out here. Um, what if we do shorter shows, but do two two a week? Like maybe it's like a 15 oh or God. 20 minute show, that's, but we do so, two a week. That'd be so hard. Would it? If it was yeah. just 20 minutes, it it would for me. Really? If it was 20 minutes, I mean, what if? It, I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. Like two 20 minute shows? Yeah. Not like two two hour long shows. I just mean if we if we shorten the time frame, what if we had two shows a My week? God, you'd have to come into the office twice a week, John. Would you complain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see that much of me. Well, this 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 studio that we have here is going away. It is. And we talked about not that. Th- not that it's not going to be replaced. Well, yeah, we've we've we mentioned it before. So oh, we've yeah. we've been in this. So this is a uh, you know we we lease an office here in this like like a five story office building looking out onto. Actually, it's a nice view. It's like we got a view of Legacy West. 
shops at Legacy, Granite Park. The, mm-hmm. We used to have a uh, view of the ballpark right there, right across the street, but they covered that up. We're some two apartment. minutes away from the star. Yeah, we're right at the star. Um, Get to see a it's, it's cool Jones place. It's a cool place. When we have like you know, Florida ceiling glass windows, which are actually not good for podcast it turns out no. <laughs> uh, just for reflection and because we're we have this you know two major highways right here yeah so there's there's i don't know if it but ever no, comes we, up but, but we've got it we've got it built out so we, you know we've got the, the walls treated with acoustic absorbing things we've got it's comfortable in here we've got a big old couch and comfy chairs and john and i's desk and uh yeah i mean we've got you know these boom mics we've got all set up you know it's built out as a you know a, a functioning functional studio it is comfortable in here but we agreed to not renew our lease. Yeah. So this is our third year we've been here, and this will be the. Now we might possibly be in another rent, find another office around here or on this floor, maybe, um, or maybe somewhere else. We in a different place somewhere around here, but that will definitely be changing. Something's going to change. Yeah, we don't have much time to, to think I don't think about that. I don't but... think that'll change the show very much, though. I mean, because you'll we'll still get together to do the show. I mean, and already, I mean, you don't you don't ever come here to work, other than I mean, you you show up show day about noon or eleven or noon, right? And yeah. so you're it's not like you're. Well, I th- I think one thing we don't really talk about is is yes, we have this office space, but we're facing each other, and if both of us have phone calls, which is another reason I don't always come in, right? Is is because if if we both have phone calls. It's it's like Jeremy's a lot on of the bleed phone over. With me. Yeah, it's a lot of bleed over, and I think we totally um, underestimated yeah the the effect of that that yeah. would have. So it does make it tough to have you know if it's a call where I'm just listening in, I'll usually come in and I'll just listen and I have to like go on mute and I might unmute every so often. But if it's a call, I have to lead or I have to have a lot of ask a lot of questions and you know that kind of stuff. It, it's really difficult when you have two people doing that at the same time. Yeah, it's distracting. I mean, yeah. for I think for and for me, it's distracting too. And the, of course, the people on the call, they're like, "Who? What, what are you saying? Who is that? Is that you or yeah. someone else in the room there with you? Is someone sitting on your shoulder?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because this is, I mean, what is this? It's like a under under 200 square feet. And even with all the sound treatment, I mean, it doesn't, it's not like there's nothing blocking your sound coming directly at me. Right. We don't have a wall between us. Which uh, we've considered building. Yeah, but. we did. I even <laughs> bought like all this uh, acoustic foam thinking I would yeah. build a little thing, but you, you you were kept telling me not to do that, so. Well, because I mean, I just, I just don't come in when I have yeah. heavy call days or I, I schedule my calls. I usually don't schedule calls for Wednesday because that's the day we record. Right. And that's the day I'm definitely coming in. I, I would like to be here more often. I mean, there are times where, you know, home isn't always the best place either for me. Um, not because I don't like being there, but, you know, if the kids are off of school or, you know, they come home around three o'clock, I mean, it's it's really distracting. You know, they're, they're finishing their day. They're noisy. They're getting their snacks, watching TV. It's, you know, it, it does break my concentration. Yeah. Um, and I do have a dedicated office. It's just, it's on the first floor with everyone else. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I have French doors, which don't block sound into my office. Yeah. Yep. No, they don't. They are very two sets ha- of French doors. Yeah. Cause there's two ways right. into my office. <laughs> very happy to transmit that sound right through the oh, yeah. thin panes of glass. Oh, and I have a huge dog who's got a tail like a jackhammer and he's always happy so he's just walking around banging walls. You just, it's like there's a construction thing going on in my house. Do you have dents in your walls from that? Uh, no, surprisingly. Does he get like just kind of grimy oil and stuff on them? Yeah. 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 You gotta wash your We're always having to wipe down the, the hallway because that's oh, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that line. You have to make sure you use washable paint, right? When you paint the walls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny. 
Oh, so yeah, I don't know. I just, just, I mean, just to keep it interesting. I mean, I was thinking like, do we want to do any changes? But then also like, what, are there any changes that we could do that we would like that would also expand our audience? Because again, I think, I think we've got a very small percentage of the potential audience just of, of and again, I'm kind of talking about like the, these people who build stuff in Salesforce. No well, we, I mean, that, that is one thing to talk about. We do focus a lot on the development aspect and we do have a handful of people who listen that are admins, but are interested in the development side of things. Um, but maybe we could start doing more de- admin style yeah. topics, you know, talk about more of the declarative side of things and the are, things that are working or not working there. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I wonder like people who are just interested in development stuff, when we talk about the business aspects, does that, does that turn them off or, or vice versa, you know? Or the politics. <laughs> Which we usually don't. We usually try, try not, not to. to. Yeah, I'm just. It, I'm, it's tough in the Salesforce world not to talk about politics because it's such a big part of their culture. Yeah, it is, and this is what it is. I mean, it's just it's not interesting to me, and so I I just like whatever. I really don't. And and also, I mean, I I have a, a sensitivity for you know the, I have the whole problem with like many you know, on my Twitter feed is, you know, I, I try to follow just. People that I that say stuff I'm interested in, talk about things I'm interested in, so mm-hmm. you know, tech stuff, certain kind of business things, and a couple of sports guys here or there, but that's kind of minor. But but somehow my feed ends up being you know sixty percent politics nowadays, yeah, you know thirty percent you know uh, just Ohana lovey lovey stuff, very weird. Um, Maybe that's how we grow it. We embrace the Ohana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna have to gonna have to forego the Ohana, um, and and so it, you know I'm sensitive to that. I don't, I don't want us. I don't want people to think, ah, oh, crap. Well, they used to talk about Salesforce stuff. Now it's now they they you know they made fun of my politician that I that's my guy or whatever. I don't you know or they you know they made fun of uh, or they you know they don't they don't like this thing that Salesforce does that I like or whatever. I don't you mm-hmm. know I'd rather rather just not you know there's things we can we we can come together on you know and that we can leave every, we can leave all the other stuff behind. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I always get uncomfortable when we start to even teeter on the edge of some of that conversation. And that's like, if you look back at fact, Actually, like we've, this past we've year, not we've, published. Cut, we've cut some stuff. Yeah, we've, we've not published things. Like there's, there was not too long ago, a month or two ago, we, I mean, I cut a, we had a whole a 20 intro, minute conversation. First part of our conversation yeah, was, was like 20 minutes. Yeah, I cut that just like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> I think the whiskey was flowing too much yeah. or something. I don't know what, what we did. But. And I don't, th- I mean, it's like, it's, I don't think we, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like we said anything that was like, uh, you know, offensive order, but it's just, um, it's just the topic. We just realized, like, you know, we don't even want to talk about that whole topic. Yeah. Good or bad or indifferent. And I, I think I think it started innocently enough. I think it was just one of those news things that, you know, maybe Benioff had a position on or something they were doing that, that was related to that. And then it just turned into this, you know how we go. We go into tangents. Right. And we went into this tangent. And it just, it got away from us, the conversation. So, I don't know. I mean, shorter shows would be an idea. Maybe two a week, short, shorter shows. That'd be, that's actually kind of interesting. I'd be, I'd be interested. I'd be willing to experiment with that and see what happens. I'd wonder if we could even do that. Cause I mean, a lot of times we don't plan to have long shows. We, we have a handful of topics, but <laughs> then saying, like, do we have the ability to, we have, the to ability? have a short show? We ha- well, we'll, we'll pick a topic and <laughs> well, it, we might be box an, it. it might be an innocent topic. And then all of a sudden we've, we've gone into tangents and then we, we pop the stack and then we're back on topic. And then that, and then we might go into another tangent. Or you're trying to get your point across, I'm trying to get my point across, and there's a lot of back and forth. Well, I, I think it would, ch- again, it would actually change the show. It would. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if it wouldn't cause us to tighten it up a little bit, have a little bit more discipline, and make the show more d- dense for people, you know, content dense. Yeah. 
Um, and in smaller bites, I think some people, I mean, there are some people who are like, oh, I've got a killer commute. Thank you for these long shows. But a lot, I think maybe a lot of people are just like, yeah, that's so long. I can't even get through it. And, and we have heard of people who used to listen regularly, but then didn't because they changed their job or something and they don't have as long as, long as, as long as a commute. Yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah, as long of a commute. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they just don't have time. Right. And I don't know. That's what in that one one point five we're or two, in two doses. For? I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, maybe it's a possibility. Um, or you know, that, I mean, that would that would. I mean, there's there's. I think in the SEO world, you know, frequency is is also a factor in terms of um, building an audience. Right, and I I think we've gotten much better at the you know because the supposedly the magic number is you got to at least do once a week. Yeah. And and we've done that. We've been consistent with that, but it hasn't resulted in really any change in. Well, it in has. Numbers. I mean, we when we were really inconsistent when we started that first year, and then we made a concerted effort to be more consistent. But we were still spending a ton of time producing the show. And then last year, I think, is when we really kind of nailed that down. We started getting a little more efficient with how we produce, yeah. how we publish. Um, and so maybe maybe we've gotten it, to a no, point but, where, but going going weekly or consistently weekly, really. I mean, there's there's been no appreciable. Change to our star download numbers in a long time. And we had the change I mean, the, of stats too, and that affects things. But there's, but there's still, it's all the same order of magnitude that it's been for, for years. Yeah, I guess if you broke it down into like percentages, the percentage hasn't really changed much. I mean, like I said, I, I think the show could easily have ten x the download numbers, ten times the audience. Now, not that we want that. I mean, again, it's I'm all like I've said this before. I, I'm all, I'd rather have the right audience than. Necessarily a big audience because we don't, you know, we don't have any. And I, people are probably thinking, oh, they're they're listening, they're 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 planning to monetize. No, we're not. We're actually we're not. I will. I don't. I don't. Know, I guess I always reserve the right to do whatever I want. I'm not. You know, no one's paying me for this, and I haven't <laughs> signed any contracts with anyone. So, but I don't. I don't ever. As far as I know, I don't ever want to do. Even if we had 10x the audience or 100x the audience, I don't want. I don't want to run ads. Yeah. Because then that you that changes who what you can talk about, who you can talk about. You always have to. You're always filtering yourself. Oh, should I have said that? Oh, that might piss off this ad, this advertiser. Oh crap, that's the business they're in. I shouldn't have said that. You know, it's like it changes what you know. I don't. I don't want that, and I don't want people. I just don't think it's good for people to be able to to um, trade on our on our um, just relationship with everyone. Our this, yeah, because essentially you turn your audience into the product. You do. That's that's the product. That's do. what you you're have to whoring your you're whoring yeah. your audience. And I and I mean I've made a lot of friends through this. To doing this podcast, you got a lot of relationships out there mm-hmm. through this podcast, and uh, they're not—that's not for sale. That's not for sale to me. Yeah. Um, if we did any kind of monetization, it would be a uh, a listener supported thing, and and I'm just saying this obviously unilaterally. You would something you know I would both have to agree, but that, but we're not even there yet. I mean, we yeah. don't even have the numbers that I'd be even interested in, in setting something like that up. Right. But I wouldn't mind getting there, and and if a, a listener supported thing, it'd be something that you know, you know. That might that that might work, but it's an idea. Yeah. I think there's a lot of work before we can even consider that. But I, I think it's always in the back of our head. Do we? Uh, and, and, and you know, there are things we'd like to do. There are things that not only does this cost us time, but um, you know, the cost of going to conferences and things like that. It'd be nice to be able to offset that a little bit. Right. I mean, we could. Yeah, I mean, if this if there was some revenue again, that's that's not really the goal. That would that would be a nice little because it's never. I know what I know what some of these other Salesforce podcasts. I know what their numbers are. No one has the numbers for this for the what we're talking about. Yeah. So it's not that I'm 
I don't think this is ever going to be a business or anything. That's not the goal at all. But could it help us like go to Trailhead DX, right? Or could it help? Could it help offset some of the cost of this that we pay for the studio and then the, these this equipment and just the time we take to do it? And maybe. I mean, it might it might be able to get to that point. But we, I mean, not it, again. The show would have to grow quite a bit, I think, for us mm-hmm. to get there. Yeah. And, and until it's until the numbers are in it closer to where they would need to be for that, I, I wouldn't even worry about setting anything up like a PayPal or Patreon or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I do, I'm interested in ideas. So I was thinking, you know, should we set up a poll or something like on, uh, in Slack? To what effect? Just like, what would, what do you think? We should change about the show? Yeah, what would make the show better for you? Just, and you being whoever's taking the the poll. Yeah, we could. I mean, you can create an, with the Poly app that I have in there, you can create an open-ended poll so people can add. Add their own stuff. Add their own stuff. Yeah. So we could start out with a few options and then people can add, you know, things to that. Right. And we could pin it so that it's always there, at least for, you know, a week or two weeks or whatever. You know, just to give enough people enough chance to look at it and respond. Right. Well, John, what else for our, you got anything for the after show? No, because I was shocked by this after I know, show. I know. All right. <laughs> give me a little shocker there. Yes, I, you know what? I wonder, I wonder how many people will, will find the after show. I'm betting a good portion. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Are you going to inject the... Uh, our our outro in before this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe there's a good chance we'll have a, a I know. Well, someone will someone will say on Slack. Uh, yeah, someone will should, right. should we should we explicitly say don't share on Slack? Let this be a Slack. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't share. Let it let it let it just no, organically no, happen. No, or? I, I think it will organically happen anyway. So Yeah. That'll be interesting. And we did not have a meeting about this. This was uh totally Yeah. Un- All I got was I these know. piercing eyes over a monitor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that. You couldn't see my shushing yeah. symbol I was making, do you? I think I might have saw like the top of your finger, and yeah. and I think it signaled to me to not say anything, but I wasn't sure what we were doing. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're never too sure, are you, John, no. about what we're doing? All right. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Until next time. Do we have a outro for the after show? Nope, that's it. <laughs> it just cuts off. It's done. <laughs>